0: Today, on The Art Dealer Show, we will not be hearing this art dealer say... I can't do this. No, I'm not doing this. Hello, and welcome to The Art Dealer Show, the one and only podcast for and about people who sell art. My name is Danny Stern, and I am happy to say we are back, finally back with a new episode of The Art Dealer Show... And for those of you who have stuck it out, hung in there with us, and are uh, with me right now, uh, I want to say thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm sorry that it's been such a long wait between episodes. And uh, for those of you who have sent me emails and uh, social media uh, messages, letting me know that you're looking forward to more episodes to come, I'd like to give a particular thank you. This time that's gone by, it's not been a coincidence. I plan to take a little bit of a break and I just wanted to step back and take a look at the show and give it some thought about ways that I can improve it, make some changes that might make it a little bit more interesting even. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what they are detail by detail, but as the uh, episodes go on, I think you'll get a sense of the choices that I made and I hope you like them. And in that time that I've been away, there's been a lot of things going on and even more going on inside my head, as you can imagine. So if I could bribe ya for the price of a drink uh, just for a moment of your time I'd love it if we can drop on over to the old art dealer bar and I can at least tell you one or two of them that have been knocking around Okay Are we all settled in? Did Stud set you up with something smooth to hold you a bit? Good I've got a couple quotes that have kept coming to mind during this week. The first is, art is making something out of nothing and selling it. Frank Zappa said that. The other is, a profit is a profit. Put it in your pocket and move the hell on to make the next sale. I said that one. And I also probably stole it from a number of my own mentors who have uh, laid that little bit of wisdom on me over the years. And if you can take on those two quotes... I promise you, you are well on your way to making it in this quirky little racket. Okay, that's an overstatement. But you at least have grasped something. One very important thing that a lot of people in this business have not. Here's why this line of thinking has been bouncing around in my head for the past few days. First, an undiagnosed but clear obsessive behavior issue. The other is a a recent call from a gallery director friend. An art dealer in his gallery has a collector who wants to buy a specific painting, which is always great news. And I've got to say, after being in this business since the Tiffany Network came on the air and the test pattern got a 30 share, every time I'm a witness or even hear about somebody falling for a work of art, so much so that they want to reach deep into their pocket, pull out their wallet, just so they can buy it with their hard-earned money, I feel like I'm watching the convergence of the planets, moons, and the stars. And in this case, which is often the case, he, the collector, has made a lowball offer. Let's say he's offering 40K on a 50K painting, just to keep things simple, and for my own sake to try to cover up the fact that I'm telling tales out of school. And also, between you and me, it's a lot more money. Now, you may be thinking, 20%, that's a big discount. And and you're right, 20%, that is a big discount. You also may be thinking, 20%, that's 10K. 10K, that's that's a lot of money. And, And you're right, you're right, that is a lot of money. You may also be thinking, 50K or even 40K is just a lot of money, period. And that is also indeed true. Here's what I'm thinking. The cost of the gallery of this painting is probably 25K if you consider it's like most wholesale deals to galleries. Which, if my third grade math serves me, means a 40K sale brings a 15K gross profit. Then, less a of 20% off of margin commission to the art consultant on the floor, which is the equivalent of the 10% commission off of list, which in the end equals $3,000. And maybe there's a 2% override for the gallery director. My make-believe gallery in my head treats its people pretty nice. That's less $800 right there. You add the two together and you subtract it from the margin and you're left with $11,200 net-net profit in the pocket. Not a bad day's work for a gallery owner. But hold on. No. They will not be taking that deal. Well... Not unless the artist splits the loss, And sure, why not? And maybe they will. But maybe they won't. And maybe the gallery owns the work and paid for it way in the past and there is no one to push back on now. So here is the kicker behind this. And the thing I'm going to be ranting on about from here on out. Get ready. My friend has told me, that the owner of the gallery has decided that they must hold to their own policy to make no deal that is not at least keystone. And the company's bean counter, who is enforcing the law, the law that has come from high up on the mountain of retail prudence, has explained, quote, if we don't sell a keystone, we are losing money, end quote. Otherwise, if this can't be made into a keystone deal, they are going to be passing on the offer okay let's put a pin in this for the second for those of you who don't know and once upon a time i tried to fake knowing this until i embarrassed myself too keystone means the gross profit is equal to the net cost in other words hundred dollars at retail cost fifty dollars at wholesale or you can just say selling it for twice as much as you paid for it. Why can't you call it selling it for double then? Good question, imaginary person, I put a convenient question to for the purposes of this conversation. Well, that's because keystone implies an economic principle, a rule, or maybe magic. Many people believe it's called keystone after the center stone on a stone arch. That is also called the keystone and that it implies a physical metaphor of sorts, something symmetric and balanced, also critical to not falling apart, which sounds like a sound metaphor for a sound business principle, which I have to say is a comforting thing. It is simple in principle, but its origin is truly lost to time. Hold it, it's not lost to time. If it was, I would not be doing this annoying, dragged-out little setup for my clever little thing. To get the real answer, let's take a ride in the way, way, way back machine, and I'll tell you where Keystone's real answer comes from. Here we are back in 1912, and a new series of short comedy films has debuted to the delight of moviegoers, called, hold it, wrong keystone, everybody back in the machine! Okay, we have arrived even ten years earlier, to 1902, the very first movie theater has just opened. Theodore Roosevelt has become the first president to ride in a motor car. Cocaine is available in sodas. Children can work in mines and factories as young as six years old. Direct current electricity was used to cure the side effects of the change and diphtheria. And we would not yet put an ice cream scoop onto a waffle cone for another two years to come. It is a rough time to be alive. And if you were a jeweler of any note, you might have just gotten your most recent issue of GCK Magazine. At least that's what they call it back in present day. Yep, magazine is still being printed way in the future from where we come from. But today is called Jewelers Circular, hold on for it, Keystone. The magazine back then, as I'm sure it is now, was chucked full of very helpful advice to making a jeweler's business a success. And back there in 1902, As they would tell you in the pages of the JCK, to be a success in the jewelry game, you needed to, yeah, you're a couple steps ahead of me, you needed to sell at twice the price of your cost, both from manufacturing to wholesale and then from wholesale to retail. And if you followed this rule, you'll never go wrong. Yep, years before, just about any economic theory or textbook that any economist alive today would ever have studied. This was the sage wisdom of the day for this one industry. And I bet you, in 1902, you could not ask for a better bit of advice in the jewelry business. I'll even bet you there were hundreds, thousands, of jewelers who lived by this principle like it was etched in stone and brought down from the mound. And probably many of them at least, had a great deal of success. And for all we know, could be very much attributed to this bit of wisdom. Okay, I feel a little bit of a change coming on, or maybe diphtheria. Anyway, I could really go for an ice cream cone. So everyone, back in the way, way, way back machine. So here we are, a century and nearly a score later. And a sidestep over from a marginally related business. And there is still a gallery in our story making a choice to forsake the cosmic event of someone handing them $40,000. By the way, that's 60% of a medium American's household income They're forsaking this based on the business principle touted by a magazine in an unrelated industry during the same year that Arizona became a state. And this is not rare. I'm not ranting about this because it took me by surprise or as such an outlier. I've heard this concept and others much like it my whole career. I even once had a gallery owner tell me that A consultant they contracted, you know, the business kind of consultant, instructed them that if they are not making, get ready for it, a three times turn that they would be losing money. The result of that was a gallery racing as fast as it could to bankruptcy. And they got there. And maybe it was partly because, as a result, they would only be working with those kind of top-selling artists who would be willing to go along with such an irresistible deal. And guess what's in the space that once housed that gallery? Yeah, you guessed it. It's a jewelry store. Okay, I'm just guessing, but I couldn't resist that one. But they are gone, and for all I know, it's a jewelry store. And, uh, or maybe a methadone clinic, I don't know, it's something. At least it's not their art gallery. Look, after all of these years, I am growing tired of this kind of thinking. And, and I understand it, which is what makes it even harder and worse. But I tell you, every time I hear some gallery owner or director tell me some principle about having to make percentages and not dollars as their equation, I can't help myself from making the most snarkiest and smartass-like comments in return. Like, hey, let's all get rich on percentages. And as flip and unprofessional as that comment may be, It it is the point that this proves that principle. Look, I don't want to dig too deep into why this just doesn't work, why the math really doesn't line up, why it's not really sound business sense. If you have any questions to why this doesn't, just shoot me an email or give me a call, and I'll gladly walk you through it. My rant here is actually about the bigger issue at hand, that it's business by hand in the paint. And if you have a puzzled look on your face and you look just like I did when a boss of mine said this to me when I was a 20-something in my ill-fitting suit and a haircut to match, I have to tell you the story. Another story? Yes, it's a story within a story. Ladies and gentlemen, The Ham and the Panjo. This is a story about a young newlywed couple now it's an old joke so let's give them old names let's call her betty let's call him harry and one day betty tells harry i want to give you a special treat and he says really and she says yes i want to make you our family special dish of a ham steak a wonderful dinner for my wonderful husband and he says that honey that sounds fantastic i cannot wait to have our wonderful meal And you know how annoying newlywed young couples can be. They sound just like that. Anyway, Betty goes to work. She pulls out a pan. She puts a little bit of oil in the pan, a little bit of butter. I don't know why you need both. I also don't know how to cook that much. Anyway, then she takes out the steak that she picked up at the butcher that day, and she puts it out on the cutting board right on the counter. And then she pulls out a meat cleaver, and she starts chopping off the ends. And she is a excited, and then she starts seasoning, and then Harry says, whoa, 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 what did you just do? And she says, I don't, what do you mean? She goes, the chopping of the ends off the steak. She says, well, that's how you make a ham steak. You chop off the ends of it, and then you put it in the pan, and he goes, no, you don't. And she says, oh, no, I'm pretty sure you do. I learned this from my mother. And he said, okay, you learned it from your mother, but why would you do it? What's the sense? And she says, that's just how it's done. And he says, I, I suggest you give your mother a call and ask about that. I think you're missing a detail. And then she gets really upset about it. And one thing leads to another. But that's kind of besides the point. But the next day, Betty picks up the phone and calls up her mom. She says, hey, mom, last night I was making Henry a very nice dinner. She goes, did you make him ham steak? She goes, you know it. And she says, that's wonderful. Finally, it's like the tradition being passed from one generation. She goes, hold on, mom. I've got a question question is, while I was preparing the steak and I was seasoning, it, but before I did that, I took out the cleaver. She goes, you chopped off the ends, right? And she goes, exactly. I chopped off the ends just like you used to do. She goes, well, that's how you make a ham steak. And she says, I know, but here's my question. Why do we chop off the ends? She says, I don't know. That's just how you make a ham steak. She says, mom, there's got to be a reason for that. She goes, well, you know, truth be told, I learned it that way from my mother. Grandma taught you how to do it? Yeah. And they decide they'll call Grandma together. Somehow it's an old joke. And they have conference calling. Roll with it. Now they call up Grandma. And Grandma's on the phone. And they start telling her the story about Betty making Henry a ham steak. And they bring up the question. While Betty was caught chopping it up, Grandma says, what do you mean chopping up the ends? She goes, you know, Hamon taught me how to do it. She goes, are you kidding me? So they all said, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? That's how you make the ham steak. She says, look, I raised your mother in the middle of the depression. We had one pan. It was very small. And when grandpa had enough money to get that one steak to bring home, that was in exchange for, well, we weren't gonna waste the money in another pan. That's for sure. We were gonna just chop off the ends of it, cook it in the little pan. I'll cook the other chops later. It's an old joke and not particularly funny but a great parable. Did I tell you that because it's really funny to tell a ham-centric story in the context to a discussion about two businesses that are marginally related, but if they have one connection at all, they both have a lot of Jewish folk in them? No. I told it to you because the moral of that story, of course, is ask why you do the things you do. Because sometimes they are not actually serving you maybe they are even hurting you. The fact is we are in a business of one very individual deal at a time. No matter how many times and ways people have tried to scale up what we do, automate it, mechanize it, have tried to improve it with the sound methods of stats, algorithms, and formulas, it has never worked. Because there is nothing logical repeatable, predictable, or calculable about much of any part of what it is we do. Our world is about who's doing the selling, whose art is on the wall, who's randomly walking in the front door, the improv between them all, the mood and the air, the time of day, who's had a good breakfast, and on and on and on. And it's scary when you give that thought. So for the most part, We don't. What we do is what humans do when their lives, or at least their livelihoods, is governed by things out of their control. We make up silly rules that we have convinced ourselves are science, which we turn into religion, which becomes superstition. That's not to say I'm immune to these kind of rules of comfort. I'm not. And here's mine. When the planets align with the moons and the stars, And somebody you never have met before says they'll send you home with $11,200 net-net? Do not spite the gods who have shined on you, for they may never again. And take the $40,000, stick it in your pocket, and move the hell on to make your next sale. Studs, let's get my friends here another round. They deserve it. As you may have noticed, we don't have an interview today. And that's one of the new things that I'm trying out. I'm playing with the idea of breaking up my bar side chats from the uh, the other art dealer interviews. This will definitely make for shorter shows. Yay! And maybe more of them. I hope you like the new idea. I hope it suits you well. Or maybe it doesn't. Either way, if you have strong feelings about it, one way or the other, I'd love it if you could shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. Well, it looks like they're shutting down the old art dealer bar. If you're looking to leave studs a tip, now's the time. And and if you'd like to leave one for this show as well, all I ask is that you subscribe on the podcast player of your liking, and, and then maybe you suggest to another friend that they do the same. So, until next time, may the coconuts fall at your feet. Good night, my art dealer friends. Good night. This has been The Art Dealer Show. If you want to find out more about The Art Dealer Show, we can be found at artdealer.show. We can also be found at all the big popular social media spots under the handle, yeah, you guessed it, Art Dealer Show.